And uh, we really wanted to um, get at, you know, what is going on in the world right now? What, what is, you know, what, what is, um, what is it that's, that's really uh, stirring up so much uh, evil in the world right now? Um, I know that um, we wanted to talk about, you know, <clears throat> how is, de- how are demons getting in? And, and, and what about grace? What about that supernatural grace? How do we ward off those demons? So, so maybe you could tell us, you know, um, I, I've heard uh, exorcists talk about portals, portals. Right. You can have portals of grace. You can have portals uh, to demons. But, you know, what's, right. you know, there seems like there's a lot of portals open up uh, to demonic activity. You want to speak to that, Father? Yeah, a portal is just an entryway. It's a way in which you enter into something in some fashion. And so when you're talking about um, portals of grace, you're actually talking about the means by which grace enters into the world. And the principal ways that those come is through the sacraments. The church has always said that the sacraments are the primary means of ordinary grace for those of us um, uh, after Christ. And so it's what, you know, people who go to confession on a regular basis, people who receive... Um, the Eucharist on a regular basis, they've got all their sacraments. Um, this is one of the um, principal ways by which they grow in grace. Then, of course, there's the sacramentals of the church. Those are also, and there's different sacramentals. There's the Benedict Medal, Holy Water. Um, we can get into a little bit of those if you like. Sure. Um, and then, of course, there's the, pri- the private prayer of the individual and the individual's um, own devotions and things he does like that, which are also means of grace. Um, but I can't stress enough that even in our own work, Primarily when people come to us, one of the first things we have to do is get them back on um, a normal sacramental life, going to confession, right. going to mass, and um, you know, just saying, just doing a basic elementary regimen of prayer. Um, and a lot of times mm-hmm. that clears out most of what we deal with. In fact, sure. not, when people contact us, they don't see me too often. It's only the people that have it becomes clear it's possession. And most of the people that are at the lower levels, they, most of that just gets cleaned up on its own just by leading a normal Catholic life. And that's something. So, Father, if I can chime in for a second on this. So just to be very clear for the people out there, it is incredibly necessary that we have a regular, consistent prayer life and a regular, consistent sacramental life. And that alone is, you're saying, if it sounds, if I get this correct, if it sounds right, um, is some of our best means to combat evil, just prayer life, and sacramental life. Those are the, the, the key root foundational points. Is that what you're saying? That's exactly what I'm saying. And actually, the the number of people that actually um, uh, come or show up on your doorstep that actually need the help, a vast majority of them are not doing those things. It's very, very rare to wow. come across somebody who might have some type of extraordinary diabolic influence, as a, and yet they're still leading a normal sacramental life. A lot of that's just because the demons will drive them away from it. But a lot of it is, too, is just the lack of leading a Catholic life can be an open door, especially for Catholics know who know better that they should be getting to Mass on Sundays and Holy Days of Obligation, or, you know, that the types of sin that they're committing is grave matter. Um, they, they know that, and so a lot of times those are the, the, the reasons for it. But if they would just lead a normal Catholic life, that is, at standard prayer, you know, a prayer life like saying the rosary every day and doing meditation or things of that sort, I'm doing Christian or which we talked about uh, at some point um, before, but it's also the, um, but then the sacraments, primarily receiving the sacraments on a regular basis. You know, the number of people that come to us asking for help, especially when it involves their children, where their children are suffering from difficulties, a vast majority of the time, 
it's because of the fact that um, the parents are either leading a life of sin, the father's involved in pornography, or their marriages are not properly, uh, they're not valid marriages. And so they're leading in, living in an irregular situation and they wonder why their children are being attacked. So if they just get, a lot of times, just getting the marriage straightened out, getting the family on a normal prayer life, getting them back to the sacraments, that solves a vast majority of the problems in those cases. Wow. You know, I've heard it said, and maybe it was you that said it, I might have seen it on a video, but uh, exorcists claim that a good confession is one of the most uh, strongest ways to to uh, to rid oneself of any demons, oppressions, and things like that. Is that that's true, right? Yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. Part of it has to do with the nature of the legality of it. So when we commit a sin, we are, in a certain sense, taking ourselves out from underneath God's authority and placing ourselves under the authority of Satan. But also, right. by committing the sin, we are also aligning or alleging ourselves with Him, and we, there's a certain binding that we're doing uh, when we. When we commit a sin, we bind ourselves to the agent of sin, which is Satan, to, to his kingdom. And through that, and so whereas the absolution actually, it, it absolves, it literally removes the bond of the sin in relationship to the individual and the demon who has got his foot in the door through the sin. Once that bond is broken, a lot of times that'll even causes, uh, cause cases of possession to break, um, a lot of uh, obsession, but oppression, you see that quite a bit. Once people finally confess the sins and things like that, a lot of that stuff just clears up. You know, Father, I can tell you that early in my priesthood, confession wasn't a big deal among most priests. And uh, yeah. I remember, you know, doing the typical offering it, you know, a half hour before Mass on Saturday or something like that. Uh, but I've been convicted, thank God, it was several years ago, 15, 20 years ago, that uh, it's absolutely essential. In fact, I, I feel it's so essential that I made as much uh, accessibility as I could by uh, building a uh, confessional in the front entryway of my rectory. And so people will come yeah. and, yeah. In fact, you might have heard a little bleep just now. That was someone texted me to, to uh, ask if I was going to be available for confession tomorrow. But uh, I, I don't know about you, Father, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but as a shepherd of these sheep, I literally panic when I feel like people aren't in that state of grace. Why? Because they're just uh, fodder for the devil. You know, they're, they're just easily manipulated. You know, and so I, right. I tell people, I tell people when you get in that state of grace, that's when the words that Jesus says, he says, my yoke is easy, my burden light. What do you mean by that? And this is, this is my interpretation is that, you know, when you're in that state of grace, you, you, you when you doing the right thing and stopping from doing the wrong thing, you just use the words, of course. Of course I should do this, or of course I should do that. It becomes easy, but when we're not in that state of grace, it's like climbing Mount Everest to pick up a rosary, right? It very much is. Actually, there's, uh, you know, one of the things that demons can do is they can actually move um, our emotions and put thoughts in our minds and actually block people from um, receiving the sacraments. The first time I noticed this was an exorcist who, who was training me, said, if you find the people in your parish that there's, you know, you're sitting in the confessional and people aren't actually coming to confession. One of the best things that you can do is say a binding prayer or do a minor exorcism over the people in the, in the in your church or in your parish against any demon that's keeping them from coming to confession. I've taught other priests wow. this, and everybody's experience wow. is the same. Within a minute or two, someone's in the in the confessional saying, "Father, I wasn't going to come to confession, but," and it's wow. it shows you that they can actually block people from receiving the sacraments. Conversely. 
Obviously, that tells you they don't want people receiving the sacraments because once they do, then they have a certain strength and relationship to the spiritual warfare, exactly. which they don't want people exactly. to have. Exactly. Now, Father, you can say that. Go ahead, Doug. Yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but Father, um, when it comes to us laymen, us lowly laymen who were just kind of hanging out here trying to <laughs> trying to engage the battle for our families. Uh, but when it comes to this, you talk about points of entry or portals of entry for the demonic. How critical is it? I mean, as a spiritual head of my home, you know, even though my kids are all out of the home now, I still pray. I still, I, I, I have the authority to, to pray binding prayers over my children and my wife still. Do, do I not? Number one? Yes, you do. You okay. do. All right. So, by so virtue for, of the fourth by virtue of the fourth commandment primarily, but it also it has to do with the natural law because they, as their father, um, up until they reach the age of majority, you actually have the right to um, to command your children, but you also have therefore have the right to command the demons in relationship to it. Afterwards, because of the nature of the fourth commandments, children are still bound to do the bidding of their parents unless there's sufficient reason to the contrary. That we have noticed gives the parents the ability to uh, to do binding prayers. Uh, in relationship with their children. And one of the things that we always watch for is to make sure that people are following the proper uh, the proper authority structure is if there's any retaliation. So what we've noticed is that parents are rarely retaliated against when they say the binding prayers for their children. When you say retaliated against, you mean by the demons? Or, or, or it's some natural way or yes that's right so the demons will the demons will attack the person very often in the same way they're attacking the child but they'll attack the, the parents um, sometimes they'll attack the parents weaknesses and things of that sort but we've found that that doesn't happen um, except for in very rare rare cases but generally speaking um, the the demons know they must obey the authority structure see what most people don't realize is that the demons actually have a natural law of, as well and St Thomas parses out the the three categories of natural inclination, but in the third category of natural inclination, which is proper to um, reason in human beings, but in demons, it's proper to and angels. It's also it's proper to their intellect, and in there, God built into them a structure, just like He did to us, to grasp the binding force of the command of a superior. And so, as a result, even in cases of possession, when you're commanding the demons in session, when they hear that and they see that intellectually that's what drives them and compels them to actually do. And so their will is at variance with that, but eventually they will succumb to what they know is the truth. And so it's the same thing here is they know that the parents have a right to command the demons not to influence the children. So then would, you know, it, be, would it be... Go I, ahead. I, forgive me, Father. I just wanted to finish up with this question then. That, this is amazing. So to give us husbands and fathers a lot of hope, because in a lot of my work with men, out there, men's conferences, parish missions, and so forth. A lot of men will come up and say, well, my kids have grown. They've moved on. I wasn't this way. I'm having a conversion. It's too late for me now. And I will normally tell them it's not too late because you still have a spiritual authority in this. Um, is, is this that's accurate? Correct. That is yes, right. that's very correct. And it, they, they also have to realize, too, at this point, it's true that sometimes it feels like I, I have the same people uh, or the same kinds of observations made by people that, well, my children are out, well, what I do, it's a little bit too late. And actually, no, you still have obligations to your children morally because of the obligations of, of charity. And so you still have an obligation um, to say those prayers for your children. You would also still also have the ob ob uh, obligations of um, counsel, giving your children counsel at times in which they're properly open to it, etc. But that also means that you, by that, you also have the rights to um, the spiritual authority over them. Um, and so this, the demons recognize that. And so it's not too late. And they should continue to pray for their children. And if they're, they haven't, 
then they must begin praying for them. And is this the same for mothers as well? Do they, have, they don't have authority over their husbands, but do the mothers have authority over their children along with the father? Uh, yes, they do, and basic, for the basically the same reasons. Right now I'm writing a book on um, the nature of diabolic influence. It's a little bit out of hand. It's 650 pages. I haven't even gotten to the chapter on possession yet, and it's 22 <laughs> oh chapters, and I'm only on chapter <laughs> 9. So Jeez. anyway, the point being is in there What's the cliff I, notes, I lay father? out in chapter yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm going to put out a lay version. I'm hoping at some point, but in there in chapter four, the whole the whole chapter is dedicated to just the authority structure. And in there, I sure. parse out exactly where parents have the authority and where they don't. Um, and it's very detailed because there's a lot of misunderstandings about that today, even among exorcists. Wow, wow. So, you know, people are listening right now, Father, and I. I think they're leaning forward because, you know, they have a spouse or they have a children or child that has wandered away from the faith. And what you're saying here, if they only, if they only get back into that simple routine of going to church mm -hmm. on days of obligation and then go regularly to confession, usually that's about once a month. Um, and I, and I would think you would say, you know, have a close relationship with the blessed mother, uh, pray the rosary as often as you can, um, that, that, that alone will will turn their faith back toward God, right? Yes, that's actually true. I think that, um, and you know, one of the things I often tell parents to do is, is look at the behavior of your child. I mean, we talked about the portals to demons. Well, the principal portals to demons is, is mortal sin. Though the mortal sins are the, the primary things that open up the door. Venial sins don't open up the doors of the diabolic. Now, the demons use them to slowly lead us to, to mortal sin. But in point right. in fact, it's mortal sin that is the open door. What most people don't realize is, is that every time you commit a mortal sin, technically speaking, you've placed yourself under the authority of Satan, and so to become possessed is actually a proper effect of mortal sin. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody who commits mortal wow. sin becomes possessed. But the point being, is, and, and because God is merciful, God, you've opened the door through mortal sin, but God determines which demons are allowed to step across the threshold. And so um, you can thank God for his mercy in that respect. But this is one of the things is to start praying, you know, start saying binding prayers against the particular behavior, like the spirit of, of pornography or the spirit of impurity or the spirit of rebellion or whatever the case is when they see that. If they start praying against that in relationship to their children, and then at the same time, ask Our Lady to give the person the grace to come back to the sacraments. Another thing that I'll often recommend that people do, and it, I first started doing it in relationship to children, to their parents who are dying. I'll tell them, look, it's not just enough that you pray that they receive the grace, because the demons can mess with people psychologically. And so even if they're getting the graces, um, the actual graces, um, the demons can thwart that process and get the person to um, end up not being faithful to the grace by um, affecting the person emotionally or psychologically. So what you need to do is, one of the things I'll tell them is, bind any demon that's keeping the person from going to confession or any demon that's keeping the person from receiving the sacraments or for coming back into the church. So if you bind that first, as well as saying the prayers and asking Our Lady for the, um, the graces for the individual, a lot of times doing that negative part and the positive part will actually result in their conversion. So this is something which parents can do in relationship with their children when they see that their children aren't leading a Catholic faith. Start saying prayers to bind, uh, to bind the demons against any demon that would keep them, or against the demons that would keep them from coming back into the faith or being open to hear about the faith as well, because it can even affect, they can even affect people's thinking. 
we call it running commentary, especially with people who are possessed. It doesn't matter what you say to them. They're gonna, you, they'll hear what you say, but they think something different because of what the demon is putting in their head. And the same thing, I'm sure parents will often say they experience the same thing in a relationship with their children when they talk about the faith. But if they do those those things, a lot of times that will slowly but surely open up the child to being um, receptive to hearing more about the faith or even going to confession. Wow. So, Father, um, this is unbelievably fascinating. <clears throat> we're going to take a break, but when we get back, um, we're going to ask if you can kind of get real concrete. You know, what what are the ways in which we can fortify ourselves? You know, uh, and what is the church what what is the church given to us? And also, you know, what about our homes? You know, how can we fortify those? So, we'll talk about that when we come back. We're back, everyone. U.S. Grace Force podcast. Father Richard Heilman, myself, Doug Berry, with our our guest tonight, Father Chad Ripperger, uh, exorcist and just very wise individual. We're really happy that he's on the show with us tonight. Um, Father Ripperger, just again to kind of follow up on the last segment, to be very, very clear for all of us, especially husbands, fathers, um, mothers, wives, but even priests and and anybody who's a a leader or in charge has a spiritual authority that's been given to them. When we are not fulfilling that role, when I'm for example, not the spiritual head of my home that I'm supposed to be, um, does that then create a point of entry or a portal of entry for the diabolical by me not standing on the wall and protecting as I should be protecting? Is, is that accurate? Yes or no? Yes, it actually is. If you look at the first thing that um, Satan did with Eve is to get her to make the choice on her own to step out from out the authority of the, of the husband. So the, his attack is always on the authority structure in some fashion. This is why masculinity, which we can talk about maybe a little bit later, but masculinity is under such severe attack. But it's also the same thing that, and then what did Adam do when he took the, the fruit from Eve, he capitulated his authority. So that's the undermining of the authority structure was one of the first things that Satan was actually looking for. If the, the two principal functions of an authority is to provide and to protect, so if the father is not protecting the family spiritually, not just physically and, and morally, but spiritually by doing the prayers and saying those things and keeping watch over the home, etc., and if the wife doesn't um, submit to that right, in a rightly ordered way to that authority, then what happens is, is that it becomes the same way for the demons to affect the children because... The authority structure has been affected, and so those who are supposed to be protected by the authority structure, namely the wife and the children, are not being protected. So mm -hmm. this is one of the principal reasons why um, in, in our line of work, one of the things that we'll do is we actually ask them and in our intake form to find out exactly what is the family structure really like, because if there's serious disorder, that's got to get straightened out, because if it doesn't, a lot of times you, you're, you're not going to clean up the problem. So yes. Right. If the father doesn't maintain his authority within the home, according to the mind of Christ, obviously treating his bride, it's his family and his, his wife like the bride of Christ, etc., as Christ talks about in Ephesians, if he doesn't do that, then, um, then the children become actually susceptible. Conversely is also the case. If he is engaging in sin, he's actually in, in mortal sin, he's inviting the demons into the home. And this is one of the reasons why you'll even see this, where the father will be committing, usually it's pornography, that's the thing we run up against the most in relationship with the father and the son. 
the father will begin using pornography. And then the next thing you know, the child who is not even being exposed to pornography starts being barraged with impure thoughts and stuff. And he doesn't even know where it's coming from. And he's perplexed by it. So the point being is the father is, is in a certain sense, the gateway, but he's, because he determines who comes in and who doesn't in relationship to the home, spiritually speaking. But that in addition to keeping the demons out, it's also his place to invite all the angels and the saints in. And so this is one of the reasons why it's the father's place, not the mother's, even though the mother can uh, aid the father in doing it. It's the father's primary obligation to make sure that the prayer life within the family is done properly. It's the father's place to make sure that the children are saying their prayers and the children need to see the father saying his prayers so that they recognize this is part of justice in relationship to God that any real man would render or do. Um, and also it teaches the girls, this is the type of man that I want to marry. That is the man who's going to be just to God and therefore yeah. he's going to be just to me. So this is, um, these are the things. So the father is one of the key pivotal things, but this is obviously the reason why it, the masculinity, especially of fatherhood is under so much attack. You see it all the time in the news media. You, you just watch any kind of, even just commercials or something, it's always the wife or the children who are the wise ones and the father's just this idiot and adult yeah. who can't Homer function doing anything properly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's the inversion yeah. of what uh, what actually should be, but it's ultimately just a tearing down of the masculinity and of the fatherhood. Yeah. But um, without going too far afield, that's the main reason why the father has to maintain these things and he himself has to be disciplined doing his prayers, especially for the protection and for the providence spiritually of the children and the wife. Yeah, you know, I believe this is the year of St. Joseph. I've, I've heard a rumor that it's actually going to come next year. But this is the 150th anniversary of uh, St. Joseph being named the patron of the church. And church. Uh, we also see that uh, Father Calloway's book is coming out, Consecration to St. Joseph. So everything seems to be going there. And so we actually set this up tonight, didn't we, Father, that we wanted to talk about, you know, men's role and what's happening to men and, and, and how can they become stronger. And we're actually going to uh, unpack this even more in our third segment. Um, but, but before right. we do that, I want to, I want to hit, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, okay, we have an exorcist, a very knowledgeable exorcist here. And you're, you're talking about portals of demons and all this stuff. You know, what, what can we do? What, what are the, what are the tools or the, I like to say the weapons that, that the, the church has handed down to us that, that can help us to fortify ourselves, but also, uh, right. if we can talk about fortifying our homes. Yeah, I mean, in, in military terms, they refer to it as hardening the target or in a self defense. Yeah. I do a lot right. of self defense talks, and it's how do you protect yourself? You know, situational awareness, your head's on a swivel, right. and you're, you're hardening the target so you become less uh, of, of uh, the victim. Um, so, how do we harden the target, Father, spiritually speaking, for our homes and our lives? Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a couple of levels. The first is, is it's like any other type of military situation, too. You're not going to have a decent military without discipline. And that applies even with our, ourselves internally. You have to have a certain amount of discipline. And what does that mean concretely in the home? It means that the father needs to be, the father needs to be encouraging the children to lead a moral life, to do, the, to, to do all of those things that are proper to a Catholic life, to engage in the various devotions. They also, the father needs to, and the mother needs to make sure that a consistent prayer life is being done within the home so that that right order is actually followed. Um, so in, there, in other words, there needs to be an interior discipline in the family 
And that has to come ultimately through the father's authority. He can't be overbearing. He can't be difficult. But at the same time, he has to be firm. And yet at the same time, um, honestly seeking the good of the children, etc. And he, he can't be seeking his own good because that's contrary to the nature of authority. So it, his own discipline and the discipline within the family and maintaining that will be go a long way. The second th and a part of that, of course, is, as we mentioned before, leading, making sure everybody in the family is leading a, uh, a Catholic um, a sacramental life. The second thing is just making use of various sacramentals and devotions. So you, um, having Benedict medals in the four corners of the property, make sure the Benedict medals are blessed in the old right because they actually have the the exorcism that's attached to him. So putting yep. him in the four corners of the property, um, sometimes people will put him over the door stops um, uh, and sometimes even over the windows, but I don't think that's so much necessary, although it's to be encouraged if people want to do it. Um, making use of holy water, the father from time to time blessing and sprinkling the house with holy water, having it blessed every epiphany by the priest. You want to make right. sure that the priest comes and does the, um, the epiphany blessing. When you move into a new home, as a general recommendation, as a general rule, I always exercise the place because you never know, even if it's a new house, what the construction people have done. I have a relative who moved into a brand new house, and the people on the construction had done stuff there, and so we're still cleaning up that house spiritually. Wow. So exercising it and then having the priest bless it when you first move in, um, also doing the various devotions, you know, one of the principal ways to harden the target is to get into the habit of being under the mantle of our lady. Yes. You know, she is without a doubt, she has perfect coercive power over demons. So, yep. and you see this even in session when she shows up, it's over. There's not even any discussion. The demons don't even talk very much. I mean, they might scream and yell and carry on, of course, but the point being is, is that having a strong devotion to our lady and encouraging that within the family is one of the key ways to protect um, the family. St. Michael, obviously, having a devotion to St. Michael. There should be a, a devotion to St. Joseph because he is, after all, a hammer of demons as well. And it's right. also, uh, and he's also one of the most powerful in relationship to demons. Having a devotion to him, uh, if for no other reason than to asking him for the grace to um, you know, to become a good father and a good husband and things of that sort. So I think a lot of it is just a matter of using the various um, devotions, getting the children to develop devotions to the saints that they might have a natural inclination or a, you know, a disposition towards. Um, and then, of course, using exercised oil, if you can find a priest that will actually do it for you, having blessed candles so that the demons of the air are driven out. These are all different ways, which I've talked about in various conferences, but these are all different ways that you can actually fortify the situation at home so that the, um, the children are protected and the, the wife is protected and even the husband in a certain sense, because even when he exercises his own authority, God honors that and protects him in that process. Whereas if he's not um, exercising his proper authority, God's not going to necessarily protect him, usually because he's getting involved in stuff that he shouldn't. Okay, you just opened up a number of questions for me. I'm just going to try to hit these. Number one, <laughs> um, when it comes to the blessing as well, I was told years ago to by a priest, he said, make sure that you're blessing your wife and your children every day with holy water. So I, from that moment, it's been 27 years or so since I was told that, I bless my wife and my kids almost every time I'm in there, you know, almost every day I'm in their presence with holy water um, is number one. Is that something we husbands should be doing fathers and husbands? Yes, absolutely. They should be doing it on a regular basis, usually before the children go to bed each night and before the husband and the wife go to bed each night. 
Okay. You know, I actually, um, uh, at Easter time in the old rite, they, uh, they bless the water by adding chrism to it, mm. chrism oil. Nice. And uh, I actually save all that because uh, I put it in bottles and I give it to families so that they, because why? Because the parents always love that new chrism smell of their newborn baby. And uh, it's, it's, it's powerful water that, uh, that I use. And I, I ask them, you know, bless your children and bless each other with, the, with this water. So, and then follow up on that question too. Um, uh, I like what you said about if you can find a priest who will do it. Well, Father Heilman, you're one of those priests. So get ready to start to try. getting that blessed yeah. oil out to people. Um, but then Father Riviger, another question. You, just to reiterate, you, you mentioned about blessed candles, uh, burning blessed yeah. candles throughout the day so that, because that actually affects the demons in the air. Is that that's correct then? That's right. Oh, that's yeah, that's right. Actually, if you look in Scripture, there's actually, if I remember right, uh, I can't remember how many. It's like in the 20s. There's like 20 references to demons of the air throughout the totality of Scripture in various locations. I might be wrong in that statistic, but there's definitely rec uh, references to them. And basically what they are is that the demons that can um, they get into the air through various sins that people commit, etc. but they can influence things within our home. And so the, the candle, as it's blessed in the old rite, is actually asks, and prayer begets what it signifies. So what you ask for is what you get. So when you pray this in relationship with the candle, and uh, the priest does, and it receives that blessing, it's actually you're asking to drive the demons out of the area by the light of the candle. Oh, wow. So it's actually, it, um, it actually have a potent effect. You know, sometimes people will notice this. I can't, I, I can't quite put my finger on whether it's a natural thing, but I think there's a spiritual component to it as well. And that is, you know, when you walk into a, a, a like a crypt or something where there's candles burning everywhere, right? And they're exercised and blessed candles and you're there to pray. There's almost an, um, there's an ambience or an ore that you actually have in relationship to this. Last time I noticed it is when I went to, um, the, um, to the, our lady shrine there in, um, Wisconsin. And that's one of the places that I actually noticed it. But if you burn the candles on a regular basis, and sometimes people can because they have young children or cats or what have you, but um, if you can burn the candles, that will help significantly. But you say they should oh. be blessed in the old rite. Is that correct? Is that best? Yes, because the new rite of blessing doesn't actually contain the same formula. And so again, because what you get is what you ask, what you ask, what you ask for is what you get. And Christ himself says it, knock and it will be opened. Ask and you shall receive. So there's a specific correspondence to what you ask for is what you get. Um, and the same thing is in relationship to prayer. So when these things are in the prayers that the priest is saying in relationship to the particular sacramentals, that's the actual effect that it ends up having, even in spiritual warfare. Okay. Huh. So what, is, what do you feel the devil is, is doing right now? And then maybe, too, a, a little bit about... Uh, you know, what, what can we do? So can you give us a take on what you believe is going on with the devil right now, Father? Um, I think he's using people quite a bit. I think that's the principal difficulty that we have. People who are, for lack of a better way of putting it, they're basically in league with him. They actually um, believe the same things that he, uh, that he does. He, they want the same goals. Um, I'm not sure if you guys saw it, but I actually did a, it was like a, a 40 or 50 part series on uh, communism and how its psychology is identical to diabolic psychology. And I think what we're seeing is um, there's some stark, there's some stark comparisons that sometimes when I see the behavior of some of these people that it's what I've seen in session, you know, 
So, um, you know, for example, right now, things are kind of leading up to a crescendo. And that's what you tend to see right before the person's liberated. So there's this buildup of the diabolic manifestations, which come much more drastic, much more open, much more out there, sometimes even more preternatural right towards the end. And then the person's actually liberated. But you'll see the, uh, the two characteristics of the diabolic is that. But I think the other thing you're seeing is that once he, once Satan thinks he has the upper hand, he presses it all the more. He doesn't wait. He doesn't take his time. Um, he will, in certain circumstances, take his time. But once he thinks he has control over a situation, he's going to drive it until he uh, until he gets ultimately what he wants. I think that ultimately what he's doing is he's using um, people who are not leading morally good lives themselves. I think that a lot of them, uh, as I mentioned, believe the same thing that he believes. Um, and I think that that's slowly starting to come out. I mean, when you look at some of the stuff that was revealed before the election and even some of the um, things that, you know, are generally available on the Internet. And some of these things are, you know, on public record about the behavior of some of the people that are have been the most vociferous during this time frame. Um, it reminds me a lot of how the demons themselves would, um, you know, when they when they get caught in something or when. Um, their shame is revealed about the sin that they've committed. They be, sometimes become very vociferous and very angry about it, um, and try and push, uh, try and push the uh, the envelope even more. They also do the typical thing. I mean, there's so many comparisons. They do the thing of, of you know, once their sin is revealed and people see it, then what they'll do is they try and create a distraction in something else. So one of the things that exorcists have to constantly be on the guard about during session is when you start getting a certain point where the demons actually you're, you're starting to gain certain uh control over them or you're starting to uh get somewhere in a session where it looks like he's going to start tell you telling you some information he'll actually uh start doing things in order to distract you or they'll mm -hmm. dig into the person psychologically that's possessed so that it's very hard to get to them and there's even a stage um, called the external phase in liberation and the six stages of liberation where the demons, once they start losing control over the interior battle, which is very similar to what we kind of started to see in this country where some of the um, people, um, you know, call them deep state, call them whatever you want, or even people that are just communists and pushing for communism and things of that sort. Once they got into a position of, uh, it looked like they were going to slowly get to the point where they were losing control. It was very possible for them to end up losing control. They moved to, the, in, the, in cases of possession, they moved to what they called the external phase. That's the stuff you see in movies where things are going around and around and around in the, um, in the, uh, in the, inside the room. Although that's very rare, they, it, it actually does do that, or they'll start like blow out the candles or they'll blow out the um, lights or whatever have you and it's it's to distract everybody on the outside once they've started to lose control on the inside oh. um, the other thing is it's very common is claiming that they they're victorious or that they've already won when they really haven't yet it hasn't been proven to actually be the case or that they actually have rights or that there's certain things that they have that other people you know that the other people can't take away from them etc so it's very similar to a lot of the things that we're actually seeing. So I think we're seeing that on their side. I think on the side of those who are on the side of the angels, so to speak, who actually want what's best for this country, I think that 
this is just some basic external observations and stop me if I'm going on too long. Oh, no, that's great. Um, I, think there, I think there is a kind of a, um, a, in the minds of people, there's a feeling of vulnerability right now. And the reason I say vulnerability is because people recognize that the checks and balance system in our country has essentially broken down. Right. And the checks and balances meaning that people in one part of the government are just doing whatever they want or legislating when it's not their place to legislate. We saw that actually with COVID where you actually had mayors setting aside, mayors setting aside constitutional rights of the citizens. So the, the actual, um, the actual uh, uh, checks and balances system are broken down. There's also kind of a slow burn with people in the sense that people are angry at systemic crime. I mean, people are just family, certain families and things of that sort who are just systematically getting away with crime year after year, year after, and nothing's ever done about it. How much evidence do you actually need? I mean, when the public sector knows 10 times more than what people get convicted for in, in court, you're wondering, like, what's it going to take for certain people to actually end right. up um, you know, being put away for their crimes, especially when the crimes have caused tremendous damage, which basically involved trees and selling out the country and things of that sort. This is also why um, many believe that even if the fraud is exposed and all of this comes out in this whole process, that some people have actually expressed they're not convinced that the, that the Supreme Court would actually end up ruling in favor of what's right. Now, historically, they've gone both ways. What they did with LBJ, they, they basically acknowledged that the guy committed fraud, but they still gave him the election. And then you've got the, um, if, I, if I understand my history correctly, and then you've got the Al Gore situation, which they actually did adjudicate uh, appropriately, so it seems. And so I think that there's people that are concerned that there, there's not going to be a, um, a uh, consistent or a reliable judgment, even from the Supreme Court, even with the new people that we have on it. Um, that's just kind of my general take, but I think that that demoralization is precisely what you see when demons are attacking people. One of the things that we have to do with people who are uh, possessed is constantly get their focus back on God. Don't let the demons drag your focus into, you know, the stuff that you're suffering and the things that you're dealing with. Keep your focus because that's when things start going downhill. It's also um, the... Uh, it's also one of those things that the shift in the focus is what the demons are always trying to get us to do and to be demoralized. One in the ritual, you actually ask for the um, the time and date of departure of the demon. Now, I don't stress that too much, and neither does uh, Father Bamante, who's in Roman, if I'm not mistaken, and neither did um, uh, Father Amorth. Uh, God, and may he rest in peace. But he he they, we didn't. Ever, I, I found that what they do is is they. They try and set you up like you're going to win or, you're, or that this is the day in which the liberation is going to occur. The day comes and goes and it doesn't happen. And so the person gets demoralized. And that's why I always tell them, well, of course, of all demons are liars. So never, never presume that when they tell you those things that it's actually going to happen on that day. If it does, it does. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Our job is just to keep grinding it out. And I think that's my concern is, is that people on our side, the way the demons are, they're using the people on the other side to attack us. And to make us feel demoralized like they've won when it, and it's all of, and what I think ultimately on the side of the demons is about distracting us from our focus. I think that's what it ultimately boils down to. 
Now, Father, early on, as you were explaining that, which that was phenomenal, and I just the, your assessment of the entire situation in, in comparison to what's happening right now in our country um, and other parts of the world. But you, you mentioned something I, I want to just touch base on again is that they get angry, that there's a there's a reaction from the demons when when we respond to to God's grace and start to rise up in prayer and and, and so forth. I mean. Right. Can you kind of detail that a bit more about that we are in the thick of a battle that it's not like they're inanimate kind of robotic beings that are tempting us, but there, there's an actual, if I'm understanding <clears throat> this intelligence, there's a response to them that's coming from them and they get more angry when we rise up in, in unity of prayer and, and, and so forth. Is that correct? Am I getting that right? Yeah, it is. And there's two parts to the St. Thomas defines anger as a complex passion in which there's perception of injury with a desire for vindication. Now, one of the things, and this is what we've actually seen in certain segments of our population, like in the mainstream media and the like, they take everything personal. Everything is personal. That's the way demons function. Literally, you can't have any interchange with them. They don't take personally. And, and that basically boils down to the fact that um, it was kind of interesting because on the communism um, series that I did on YouTube, they, uh, one woman says, well, it sounds to me like they suffer from narcissistic personality disorder. And I'm like, yeah, that's pretty much a description of demons. And yeah, that's pretty yeah. much a description of communists. Yeah. But, uh, but I think that it, there's a, they, by the reason I'm going into that is because they easily perceive any injury whatsoever. And here, that's one of the things that we saw with the rioting and things like that. It was all perceived. There's a lot of this stuff wasn't even real, or there wasn't. If you looked at the the actual facts of cases which they were writing over and things like that, they weren't in the right in doing so. But Saint Thomas says so. Once a person perceives the injury, then he says they try and mete out vindication against the person to cause them to stop hurting us. Right. Right. So when we, when we get angry, someone hurts us, we hurt them in order to not hurt us. And he says that's the structure of anger. And I think that's what we're actually seeing. So on the side of the demons, when we rise up in prayer, that means that God will answer their prayers. I mean, one of the beauties of being an exorcist is you literally see the effect of your prayers. When you ask God the Father, punish him for doing X, you immediately see God physically punishing this demon for what he's actually doing. So there's a, uh, a certain sense in which you realize God is right there. He's listening to everything that you say. You just have to be very persistent. But the demons know that if you are praying, that means that what they are working towards will get stripped from them. And that's what that's why they get so angry. And I think that's one of the things that you actually, and they, they get really irritated just by virtue of the fact that you're even fighting against them. Their basic attitude is you should just step aside and I should get what I want. Yep. Which sit I'm sure sounds very familiar out there. Yeah, sit down and shut so, up is what I've been saying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. And that's what demons like to do. They like to bully. But they are typical bullies, just like these other people are. Once you rise up against them, they're basically cowards and they flee, right? So, um, but I think that, uh, and they'll, and the, this is one of the things I mentioned too, that, you know, the certain people within our culture have debilitated the police to where they can't function, so they can't subdue people in a rightly ordered fashion in order to establish law and peace and order. And that's exactly what the demons trying to do, is actually try to debilitate you or set up a situation where you feel you can't go after them because the 
what you're fighting against seems almost insurmountable. Um, yeah. And so that's the, in, 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 you know, because a lot of times people who are possessed will say, Father, I can't do this. I can't fight this. You know, I can't, I can't make it to the end. And my answer is always the same. No, you can't. But with God, you can. And that's the thing that the demons constantly just shift your focus away from God and onto your troubles, the magnitude of them and things of that, rather than keeping your focus on him and doing what you need to do to actually win the battle. So I think that's the, my concern is that a lot of people, I saw this at least for the first couple of days after it looked like, like um, uh, Joe Biden was going to win. A lot of the people on the, on the right just got demoralized. It was like they deflated and almost, they almost gave up like right off the bat. So, and you know, this, it, if, if I may make the comparison, it's a bit of a long comparison, but, uh, you know, bear with me. This whole situation with Trump reminds me a very much like um, the, the situation that Joan of Arc suffered in her life. So one of the things that I learned in dealing with Satan in a particular case is that when he is the demon of delay, now this is very interesting. When he delays things, um, he does so in order to slow things down so that other things can be put in place because his goal is to block the process. So he's a demon of delay. His nemesis when it comes to demon of delay, when he's a demon of delay is Joan of Arc. Now, obviously, Our Lady's always his nemesis in a variety of different ways, but when it comes to when he delays things, it's St. Joan of Arc. So if you go back and read um, like the rehabilitation trials, or you can read uh, Mark Twain's book on Joan of Arc, which is actually so close to the rehabilitation trials. It's almost, you might as well just read that because it flows very well. One of the things that you see is time and time again, when St. Joan of Arc was trying to accomplish something, there would be people around them that would delay everything. So there's, uh, and I even beat out of him one time, are you the one that, you know, delayed this and stopped this and that? And he basically said, yeah, he was the one using these people to cause these delays and the ultimate reason was because his hope was then the English could move into the proper places or what have you, get their armies where they needed to so that the French would be defeated. So there's that delay now in the election, which I find when I first saw that, I'm just like, that's because I, I deal with this in my, as an exorcist all the time where demons delay your work or put thing, get, put up these blockages so that you can't get things done. Another thing that I find very fascinating is that uh, in the life of Joan of Arc, they asked her, are you afraid of anything? And she said, treason, which I found very interesting. The, the bishop who basically, uh, you know, tried her illegitimately, put her to death and then made sure none of her relics or anything was ever available. His sin essentially was treason through ambition. He sold out his own country through the ambition because he wanted a bigger bishopric. And so you're seeing this kind of thing even in our own culture where certain people in positions of power are very, very ambitious. And from that arises a certain treason because they want to attain certain things and they're willing to sell out the country in order to attain it. France was occupied by the English. Uh, we're occupied by the deep state. I mean, that's basically what we're dealing with. Right. And the English thought that they had a right to rule over France. And so do the elite. And so do the communists. They think they have a right to rule. So there's this, there, the parallels in the life of St. Joan of Arc are pretty, um, pretty stark. At the end, when she was being tried, Joan was essentially alone. She felt alone. There's even times when you read 
um, her uh, biography that she was actually, even during, between battles, she would feel very much alone because essentially, um, you know, it, I always tell people, it's pretty bad when it takes a woman to man up the French, right? So, but to go to war. But the point being is, is that she was alone. And now we've got a situation where it looks like Trump is alone. So even those who appear to be with her very or with her during her life were very often the ones uh, delaying things and sabotaging things and trying to derail it. And you actually see that even with Trump throughout the course of his his um, his uh, presidency. And even now, there's the people that should be supporting him are the ones that are, are derailing it. The deep state wants to uh, wants to impose an alternative form of government. That's exactly what the English wanted to do. They wanted to basically maintain and expand their control over France. St. Joan was sold out by a Frenchman. Uh, Trump was very often sold out by the same people in his party. Just as the bishop uh, put St. Joan in jail and disposed of her relics, the deep state will uh, be extraordinarily vindictive. I predicted this a week ago. I said, if these people actually win, the retaliation is going to be diabolic in nature. They are going to, it's going to be brutal. And we're already seeing that with some of the statements made by one of the congresswomen that, you know, they should start keeping track of these and making lists of people and this and that. These people are out for blood now. The, the chilling effect. A certain set. Yeah, it's, it has, exactly. So yeah. the point being is, is that it's, when you look at the life of St. Joan of Arc, very often during even the battles when she would uh, be in battle, she might be back a little bit in the, um, very often she was the one at the forefront, but sometimes she would be back a little bit in the ranks, but then the guys would start like not, not advancing as quickly as they should. And then she would go up to the front and start uh, forging forward. And so in a similar fashion, you know, uh, and so she would, she would encourage them to keep fighting forward, keep going forward. I tell people, look, now is not the time to cower. Now is not the time to just give up and say, okay, we can't do anything. It's true that we can't really do too much on the external political level. That is true. And that's probably not our place, most of us, um, especially as priests. We're not supposed to be doing that. But at least in relationship with the laity, there's only certain things that they can do in the public sector, um, given their state in life. Now, some can do a lot. Some can't. But what this means is, is that now is the time to be like St. Joan of Arc. That is, uh, you have to make the, we have to make the final push. And what this means is, is that it's not... Uh, it's not just a matter of abandoning, doing anything. Because I even saw this. People, people stopped praying. Some people actually stopped praying. It's like, yeah. oh, well, there's no point. It's just, it, it looks like, um, looks like the, the election's already been decided and things of that sort. And I just tell them, look, now is the time to start fighting. Now is the time to buckle down in prayer. Now is the time to basically man up. And if you're a woman, it's time to become a strong woman. It's time to start praying, fasting, doing those things we need necessary because the, in a certain sense, I've been, I've talked to people who are very high level in our government, um, you know, that literally work at the highest levels in some of the parts of uh, Washington. And they have told me that the deep state is so pervasive, it's so extensive, and has gotten so much power over the last 30 to 40 years, that it's unlikely that even Trump could get the thing rooted out, at least in, a, in one term. And so... But that what that tells us is, okay, that just looks like it did with the, with the English when it looked like we couldn't, when Joan couldn't, or the French couldn't conquer them. Joan would actually literally start climbing the walls of the castle in order to storm it. I mean, she would literally start doing those things. That's how she got injured once. 
So the point being is, is that we can't sit and let this thing pass us by and do Amen. nothing. Yeah, there's one person. There's only one person that can change this thing. I mean, it is insurmountable on the side of man. It is not insurmountable on the side of God. And right. he can still deliver us uh, from, you know, four years of brutal, I mean, oppressiveness. I mean, because that's what's actually coming. Um, and retaliation, things of that sort. He can deliver it from us, but we have to be willing to do our part if we expect him to do his part. I'm so glad to hear you you, you talking like this, Father, because yeah. I, I didn't confer with you before I wrote this, and, and actually Doug fed me this line. Um, he helped me recall about uh, Emperor or Admiral uh, Yamamoto of Japan after they bombed Pearl Harbor, and the classic quote is, I fear all we have done is to awaken a sleeping giant and filled him with terrible resolve. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I have that right now, and I am doing whatever I can. I know you do too, too Doug. I know you do, oh, yeah. Father. But we're doing everything we can to, to say, and, and you know, you, you're talking about Joan of Arc. I always tell the women, I love the expression, Joan up. You know, you said man up. You know, it's yeah. Joan up, you know. Uh, and and let's, let's, uh, let's get out of the fetal position Okay, and let's do right. what we can do with man. It's impossible with God. All things are possible. Okay, and right. so what are we called to do right now? We're called to get strong in God's grace. That's right. Yeah, and, and and that's the force that we'll be reckoned with because you know you, you can think of all kinds of images, but the the most classic is probably David and Goliath. You know, all he had was a right. sling and a stone, right? But but with God, right. you know you. Uh, you, you can you can have this insurmountable force coming at you, and uh, you pull out your rosary, and you can say, "I like the odds." You know, I mean, uh, yeah, God's God you know, is a, stronger than the devil. The other thing is too is that the people on the other side are taking this as a spiritual warfare. I mean, look at all the. I'm sure you've read the stories about the witches actually um, yep. doing yeah. witchcraft, or they're cursing Trump. Trying to We've stop been countering the actual, that, Father. Uh, We've been playing the yes. St. Patrick Larica prayer uh, every time they're, yeah. they're doing that. Yeah, I'm going to make some suggestions about what people can do. To, but, but it basically means that the demons are inciting people to do things to affect so that he can be empowered to affect the outcome of the election. Right. Because ultimately, he wants his country communist. He be, And there is a reason why our Lord chose Our Lady to be the one to counter communism because its psychology is entirely diabolic. This is why she was the one chosen by God to be the one to ultimately undo it. This is why we have to, this is why we have to um, ultimately go to her, which I'll make some suggestions about some prayers here in a little bit, but she's the one that's going to be the one that God's going to use as the instrument to crush this. Let's not forget the United States is under the patronage of the Immaculate Conception. Yay. Yes. We should be fleeing to her and say, take back your country. That's right. Father, is it, is it, a, I mean, very simply put, it sounds like it's a.